All right, it is August 30, 2022, and as promised, after my trials, after my summer of fun at the office upstairs in the law firm, I am back at the Lawyer Talk Q&A. That means I am taking all the questions that listeners around the globe, and I stress around the globe, are submitting to LawyerTalkPodcast.com. And the idea of the Q&A is, you know, everybody listens to me on the Blitz every week, but uh, and then I've got the longer roundtables. But, uh, you know, it's hard to get a little bite-sized chunk and get your question answered quickly, efficiently, uh, and entertainingly. Maybe that's the right word. Uh, So we are going to jump into a question uh, early this morning. Uh, But uh, before I get into it, just remind everybody, if you have your own question that you want us to answer right here at Lawyer Talk Podcast, just go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. we got a little uh, question interface. Just submit it, and we will get to it without further monkeying around. I have brought in a special guest for this question, David Goldstein. Everybody, anybody's listened to the Blitz have uh, have heard me reference Goldstein, my friend, my lawyer, could be yours too. Dave, how are you doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having me. You know, a lot of times, you know, we always talk about this criminal um, and what's going on in the criminal world, which is much more exciting. So it's interesting to be here on the civil world for some boring talk. Yeah, well, this is this is hardly boring. And, you know, it, it, we'll, we're going to play some theme music for this one because I think it's awesome. And, and this is a question uh, from Jose over in Spain, by the way. Yes, I'm very excited that we are known internationally. Yeah, so an international question. I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Now, anybody in their 40s. Or 50s like me. 50s probably, yeah. Actually, more like 50s. I'll probably get censored by like the... Oh, I don't know about that. This is just bringing back great memories when I was 12, 12 to 15. Let's hear that again. You know how cute I always thought you were. That's awesome. That is great. So just let this run for just a minute, you know. I can picture Phoebe in my mind right now. So you might be wondering what the heck this has to do with lawyer talk Q&A. Well, it does. We'll just sort of fade it out into no man's land. Because here's the question today. It's from, like I said, Jose over in Spain. And and I guess we got to get somewhat serious about this. It says, hello, Steve Palmer. Greetings from a listener to you or a listener to your podcast in Barcelona, España. That's Spain, right? I, I was a French guy, but I think I got that part figured out. Uh, And the question, in Ohio, who is legally responsible if someone drowns or is injured in your swimming pool? See, now everybody gets it because it's that scene from Fast Times, right? Absolutely. Again, anyone over the age of 45 to probably 60-something. Right. We were all swimming in our dreams just a minute ago. Anyway, does it differ between homeowner and hotel? In Spain, a recent court judgment has held up the Spanish ruling that anyone using a pool is responsible for their own safety, even if a lifeguard is working. Lawyers on behalf of British and German tourists keep trying to put the blame on the pool owner for any drownings or injuries. But so far, the Spanish courts have not taken this opinion unless the pool has no maintenance. And uh, that is, again, Jose from España, Spain, halfway across the globe. Halfway across the globe asking for some advice and uh, answers, and we can probably provide that to him, at least as it applies to here in the good old U.S. of A. Yeah, so we will, uh, you know, we will uh, do our best to answer it. Obviously, we don't know any España law, but... 
you know, to, to answer this, I go to great lengths. I bring in the experts. I bring in Dave Goldstein, civil attorney. And, you know, Dave, you've been doing, you started doing criminal work. Yeah. So I started my career in the county prosecutor's office. I think that's where I would uh, face off against you, which really enjoyed and uh, a good little rivalry. And then left the Frank County Prosecutor's Office after prosecuting a number of individuals and got a little burned out and went over into the civil world. You know, it's an interesting point you made before we jump into this question. It's like uh, people always say, well, people would think that I would clash swords in an angry manner with prosecutors. And sometimes that happens. But for the most part, it's professional and courteous. It's very professional. I always make, uh, you know, it akin to sort of a, a sporting competition that you're rivals, so to speak, that you respect each other. But obviously your goal is to prevail as a prosecutor, seek justice. As a criminal defense attorney, obviously seek the best result for your client. Win, win, win well, at all costs. Because if we don't, then you know justice isn't done, obviously. But it's the only way to keep everybody uh, in check. And 100% agree. Now, and I will say one more thing, and that is when I ask you one more question. Uh, my perception of civil lawyers is that I hate them all. Um, and I say that sort of euphemistically, but it, it just seems like civil lawyers treat each other so poorly. But in the prosecutor's office, when we worked together, it was very courteous and, and sort of a um, a mutual relationship that if we pissed on each other, then it wouldn't work in the future. I, I agree with you 100%. I think one of the things that when I left the criminal world and went into the civil world, people would ask me, what do you see as the biggest difference? And I would tell them that civil attorneys fight harder over the almighty dollar than attorneys in the criminal world fighting over liberties and freedom. Boy, that's crazy. Isn't it? And that was really hard for me to accept because it's like, look, we should be fighting much harder over someone's liberties and freedoms, yet these attorneys just fight and fight. And when I say fight and fight, it's not advocating for their client. It's just being somewhat nasty, and it just comes down to the almighty dollar instead of seeking justice. You know, I have... Uh I've shared this with you. In the last couple of years, I have uh, returned to the Gospels. I've, I've returned to the Bible. I've returned to Christianity. And, it's, and even Christ himself says, he doesn't say you're precluded from the kingdom of God if you uh, are a wealthy person. But he does make mention that it's difficult because money gets in the way of everything. I, I always say, obviously, being Jewish, I only knew that first book. Uh, yeah, I mean, all you got to do is keep reading. <laughs> Just keep reading. Nope, we stop right there. But, you know, I always say, and even in my practice and my profession, <clears throat> excuse me, I always say, hogs get slaughtered, pigs get fattened, which that means is don't be so greedy. Yeah, greed. And, and greed in our profession in the civil world, I just see it and it just amazes me. And not only just in the civil world, even in the business world. I take care of my employees. I know you take care of your staff. But I watch you know, some, some attorneys and other professions where they just want to grab all the money and be those hogs and they, they lose good people and, ju and just they don't have a good reputation. And it, 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 you know, it's sort of this notion that I found, I think you too, I hardly ever worry about the money, and when I don't, I tend to do better financially. Yep, I, I agree. And, you know, and I've got clients who, you know, and obviously, you know, when you hire a lawyer, it can be very expensive, and you have clients who come to you who are in certain positions and maybe can't afford you financially. And a lot of times, I, I hate to say it, I will cut them a break, I, I'll do some pro bono work, because I get more satisfaction out of getting them a good result and making their life easier than I do collecting that almighty dollar. Yeah, and that I find when I chase that dollar, it'll take me right to hell. It, 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 it makes you miserable. It, it does. I mean, it, unfortunately, it, it is just the way our society is right now. Indeed. All right, so let's get to the question. I, I know I gave you this a couple of weeks ago so you could prepare. But I, uh, Yeah, I did. You know, it's, it's funny. I've had a couple swimming pool cases, but I have not had any in a long time, and so I had to go and just look through my notes. 
And it, it, it's interesting, in at least Ohio, um, the answer will depend, but typically the homeowner is not responsible when someone either is injured or dies while using a swimming pool. Um, courts have said that a swimming pool is an open and obvious can be danger. And so when you enter the swimming pool and you start swimming in it, uh, you recognize the inherent dangers that can happen. Uh, I'll just give you one example, which was an interesting case. There was a pool party after a graduation. So a bunch of probably 17 and 18 year olds were at a house drinking uh, Kool-Aid uh, yeah, drinking adult beverages, even though they were not legal and the parents knew what was going on. Um, and so there was some horseplay going on. Uh, they were drinking more and more. And unfortunately, uh, a young man just drowned in the pool. Not sure how, not sure why. And his parents sued the homeowners. And the court basically said, nope, we're going to rule in favor of the homeowner, the pool owner, because it's an open and obvious danger. And the fact that they were drinking beer had nothing to do with his drowning. And so the court said, nope. You homeowner, you pool owner are not responsible. And that's typically how Ohio looks at these kind of situations. Uh, so it, it, it's very harsh, but that's the way the courts have ruled. Well, a couple follow-up <laughs> questions then. So, it, you know, is there, in the case you mentioned, obviously there was underage drinking going on. Could there be other liability? Let's just assume that they could link this kid being wasted to his drowning. Would that create liability independent of being a pool owner? I think that that could create liability because they were violating a criminal statute if they were providing the alcohol and knew that these young individuals were drinking the alcohol. But it would have to be basically related to his or her drowning. That is correct. So the, the plaintiffs there, the kid's parents in that situation, could not prove in court that the kid drowned because he was drinking. That is correct. Because yeah. they, they, his blood alcohol was not at a, you know, when they took his blood alcohol, it was not at a high level or anything of that nature that suggested that his, because of consuming alcohol, he drowned. Now here, at least in Ohio, and I, again, I don't know about Spain, because actually we'll get, part of his question is, unless the pool has had no maintenance, and I think this may relate to that. Um, what it, like in Ohio, we always hear you have to have a fence around your pool. What's the, what's the deal yeah, with that? Yeah. So that, that's an, the question that was posed by the listener is a great question. So if let's say, for example, the pool had, um, not, it was cloudy or there was just give you an the concrete, there was some defect in the concrete that was in Ohio more than two inches. Um, then the pool owner and the pool owner was aware of that we call it a hazard, then the pool owner could be liable for that maintenance or defect. That's a little bit different uh, because as long as that defect is not open and obvious. So a lot of times you see even in Ohio, not excluding pools, but but a slip and fall case where you're walking in the grocery store, you see that there's some water on the floor because of rain and you slip and fall and that courts have said, well, that's open and obvious. You should have discovered it and therefore, you know, the store owner is not liable. It's, it's almost the same thing as it relates to a pool. If the hazard is open and obvious, then the pool owner is not responsible for any injury that that hazard causes. If the hazard is not open and obvious, then the pool owner could be liable for that hazard as long as the pool owner knew or should have known about that hazard. All right. So what I like to do, you've probably not heard, I don't know if you've heard me say this, is like I, I as an attorney, I like to make things simple and almost everything can be made simple. So I'm going to sort of regurgitate that and like real, like you and I speak lawyer talk. Right, right. And you have to, it's almost like we have to go down and, and be in front of a jury because I hate speaking like lawyer. Yeah. So we have to break down and speak <laughs> right. like, I, like I, I speak both languages. I, I speak for the trees. But anyway, the, 
what you're saying is say I have a pool and the concrete around the pool has been cracked and has like a, a more than two inches offset. So it's higher on one side, creating a trip hazard. And my and some kid, 17-year-old kid, goes along trips, hits his head, goes in the pool and drowns. That's a different scenario. That's a different scenario. Um, it, it, the homeowner could be responsible, but again, it's going to come down to facts of the case and whether that so-called hazard was open and obviously that open and obvious that you could see it. Um, but let's say you know that there's uh, some defect in the pool that you couldn't see. Let's say you know that there's uh, you know on the bottom of a pool sometimes it, the there can be cracks or hazards in there, or let's say the pool had too much chlorine, and that I had a case where there was too much chlorine in a pool and it burned uh, individuals' eyes. That's a little bit different because, again, that would not be something that would be open and obvious, and that's a hazard that would be known or should have been known by the pool owner. Yeah, like so that would be part of the general stuff. I had a, My parents had a pool growing up. I hated it, by the way, because you had to go out every day. You had to balance the, the water. You had mm-hmm. to do the little test kit, yep. balance it. I had to sweep the damn thing. Um, I hated it. Uh, and people are like, oh, it must have been awesome. It's like, no, after like a week, it, it was a pain in the ass. Uh, so if I'm checking that every day, I should, part of my general maintenance would be to say, all right, there's too much bromine or chlorine in this thing. And uh, therefore we need to uh, get it balanced or not let people swim until we have it balanced. Exactly. Or, you know, looking at the bottom of the pool and the, and the shell that's there and make sure that there's no hazards or anything in that that could cut someone's foot. Sometimes you see in a pool where there's cracks in there and people cut their, you know, cut a foot, cut their finger. And, and in that situation as well, if it's not open and obvious, the pool owner could be held responsible because that's not something that's open and obvious that you would see when you were walking or you should have seen. So that's like the homeowner side. Now I'm curious, as a, I hate to say this, actually, let's just say hypothetically, as a, a high school group of kids would sneak into a Marriott hotel and use their pool without actually having rooms at the Marriott hotel, and there's a lifeguard standing there or sitting there on a bench, uh, how does that change the equation it, at all? It, it can change it a little bit because hotels, basically, there's a special relationship between a, a guest at a hotel and the hotel itself. Um, there's there's abundant of case law that sort of go back and forth about this, and it's really fact-specific because it just depends on, on what occurred. You know, if you ever go to a hotel and there's not a lifeguard, you'll see sometimes where it says swim at your own risk, and that's a warning. And again, courts will say, hey, the, if you drown, the pool is open and obvious. You know it can be a hazard. Therefore, we're not going to hold the hotel liable. Um, if there is a lifeguard, sometimes that situation can be a little bit different, that if someone drowns and a lifeguard was basically not performing their duty, then a lifeguard could be what we call negligent. And that's, that's the situation where the lifeguard could be, and as an employee of the hotel, could be held liable for uh, the incident that may have occurred. So you got like Bobby, the high school kid, as a lifeguard watching, but he's not really watching. Instead, he, what he's doing is uh, texting. He's, talking to, he's texting or he's talking to some young girl. Yeah, he's so. talking to Jane. Right. He's talking, <laughs> or he's talking to Phoebe. Right, he's Phoebe. Phoebe. He's talk, he's, or he's dreaming about Phoebe and he's yeah. in another world. And then there's a situation where someone is you know, drowning and no one's trying to save this individual and the person drowns. Then a court would say that there could be uh, the lifeguard, and since he was working for the hotel, the hotel itself can be held liable because the lifeguard was what we call negligent, failed to act in a reasonable manner and breach that duty. So Brad, the lifeguard, is in the bathroom taking a break, 
and there's no wondering substitute lifeguard. Yeah, wondering about Phoebe. Yes, taking you know whether that thirty second break or five minute break. It is. depends, I guess, on the individual. But uh, and then you know then the the kid. The, well, now, what if the kid's a trespasser? Well, that can be that you know it's a trespasser. It can be a little bit different, but it just depends on the hazard. If you're a trespasser, typically courts will not afford you those protections. Uh, but it will depend on the situation. You know, if, if you're a trespasser and there was no fence, let's just say it was a hotel and there's no fence and they're violating some of the laws, then a court could hold that hotel liable because what the court would say is that if you had a fence up, this individual would not have trespassed on your property. Yeah, I want to get back to that, the homeowner and the fence because I, I got sidetracked. So sure. if, if I have a pool and I don't have a fence around it and I'm a homeowner, it, now is there really a law that says I have to have a fence? There is. It's, it's obviously there is a law. It's not just a, it's not a state law, but from my understanding, it's it's you know the jurisdiction in which you live, which means you know if you live in the city of Columbus, the city of Columbus has a, a rule that says you have to have a fence or some type of structure around your pool. If you live in let's say a suburb here in Central Ohio like Upper Arlington, they typically will have the same rule and you have to do that. If, if that happens and let's say you don't have a fence and someone then walks onto your property or you have some visitors and a, and a toddler goes out and falls into the pool, uh, then again, the courts will look at that a little bit differently because they'll say you were violating a statute and that the homeowner could be held liable. Would I, is it, uh, so in law we use this term per se, but it means just because it is. So if I don't have a fence and a toddler comes in and falls in the pool, is it just liability or would they have to prove also that the fence would have stopped it? I, I, they don't, well, that's in, that's a great point that you ask. In, in that particular situation, I think you would have to say that the fence may have, may have stopped what had occurred. But again, there's what we call proximate cause, which is a relationship. Uh, and so you have to say that the drowning was caused by not having a fence as opposed to other circumstances. Um, now, if the, if the uh, let's just say the homeowner hat puts in a pool, and I know we're getting a little bit far afield, but I, I'm, all these questions are coming no. up. It's sort of like law school redo. Right. But it's like, so the homeowner has a pool, and I, I, I put in a pool, but I don't pick up the phone and call my homeowner's insurance company and say, Hey, I just put in a pool. Just letting you know, um, what it should what what should homeowners do if they install a pool with respect to insurance, and what can they expect the insurance company to say? Yeah, if any homeowner installs a pool, the first thing you should do, even before you install it, is, is contact your insurance company or your insurance agent to find out what coverages you need and how much it's going to cost. You have to let your insurance company know that you have installed a pool or have a pool or they're not going to provide coverage to you. And if something happens, you know, you're then going to be personally liable and there's going to be no insurance there. So to play this out in the case that in the cases you've worked on or the cases right. where the courts have not found liability, what probably happens is that let's, let's take the kid, the high school kid who drowned at the party, his parents sued the owners of the home. But what the owners of the home did is they picked up their phone and said, Hey, insurance company, I got a lawsuit. Help me. Absolutely. It's just like, you know, a car accident or, and that's exactly it. They call up the insurance company when the incident occurs, report what happened. And then once they get sued, they, they call back their insurance company. And then the insurance company typically in most policies will provide them a free attorney and coverage. So if let's say a jury or a judge found that homeowner to be responsible and pay monies, then the insurance company would pay monies up to their limit. So it's it's very akin to a car accident when someone gets sued in a car accident that their insurance will handle that. But if they have not told their insurance company they have a pool, then the insurance company is going to say, hey, there's no coverage for this because we never insured that type of risk. So what they then, they're losing really two things. They're losing, they have to then go hire their own lawyer at whatever, how much an hour. And, uh, and the other thing they're losing, if they lose the case, 
they've got to get in their own pockets and pay the fee. Pay yeah, the they, freight. they do. And in the legal world, that's called indemnification. The insurance company then is not going to indemnify or pay. So if a judgment is for $500,000 against that homeowner, typically insurance would pay that. But if you don't have insurance, then insurance is going to say, sorry, and now the homeowner is really... Yeah, up the... Up up, the yeah, was, I was going to say, yes. swimming in a cesspool. So, so swimming in a cesspool, exactly. So one... Uh, I had another question. I almost... I just lost it. Um, ah, that's all right. We can uh, we can wrap we it up can, with that. No, and it's just interesting. And just I always tell people and, and listeners that with anything, if you're doing anything at your house or anything with your vehicles or anything that you're changing, make sure you contact your insurance company to find out what your coverages are. You and I have been doing this a long time, Steve, and how many clients come to us and have been, you know, in the dark about their own insurance. Um, and I tell people a lot of times insurance agents don't, not all, uh, there's a lot of good insurance agents out there, but some insurance agents, just like some lawyers, don't advise their clients properly. And I've been doing this for over 25 years, and I can't tell you the number of individual clients that come to me with lack of knowledge about their own insurance and sort of are, you know, apathetic and they don't, you know, they just don't think about it. So I always tell people before you do anything major, either at your house, whether it's renovations, installing a pool, before you purchase a new car, look at your own insurance coverages to make sure that if something happens that you are covered so you do not have to pay any monies out of your own pocket. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, I do these Q&As or I do this question and answer with the Blitz every Wednesday. And so often I get, you know what I get most are renter's questions. And they're asking me about uh, something that happened or some issue at their play, and, and and even homeowners. And I just say, listen, um, your dog bit somebody. You know, what do you do? Or you know, I've got this problem at my. Uh, there was a damage because of water to all my personal property. I always tell people, if you called your insurance company, and they're like, huh, didn't think about that. And I said, listen, man, you pay for it. Yep. You pay for it. You should call and at least check and see if it's covered. Check and see. And you know, a lot of the renters that are out there, renters insurance is so cheap. And then, you know, but people don't think about it, they don't get it, and they don't get the right coverage, and then someone breaks into their place, or there's an issue, like you said, a flood or something of that, and then they're financially harmed because of that. And it's just, it's so cheap. Just like I tell people in an auto insurance, look at umbrellas. Umbrellas are very, very cheap. An umbrella, what an umbrella is, you have your own auto insurance, but then an umbrella is an extra protection of layer for you. And it costs usually a million dollars, usually costs like $120 a year. And that's yeah. it. I mean, man, think about that. So if you, and what you're really saying with this umbrella, think about it like an umbrella. It's something that covers everything over top of you. So you have your auto insurance, you have your homeowner's insurance, right. and then you've got this umbrella, which is like an extra an extra layer, layer of water protection. So it, it, it is. Yeah. I mean, if you own a pool and something like this happens and, you know, then you are protected because when I get calls from clients, obviously they're like, oh my goodness, is this going to, you know, are they going to be able to take my house? Are they going to take all my wages? Are they going to take, you know, all my savings? And obviously that is a huge stress as we talked about, obviously money. And if you have that insurance, which is not very expensive, you have a peace of mind. I hate to go back to the old uh, commercials, but you really do have a peace of mind as long as you have that protection. Yeah, I have a I have a substantial umbrella policy. It costs me hardly anything, and I never worry about not having too much auto coverage. Look, nobody wants to hurt anybody driving. Nobody wants to hurt anybody in their pool. Nobody wants anybody to slip and fall in their house and get hurt. And when they get sued, I think people tend to take it personally. And you know, if, if my friend sued me because their son died. It would be an awkward situation, but I, I could I could 
de-awkwardify it by just calling my insurance company and say, look, deal with this, please. Right. And that's what you do. I mean, uh, like you said, people take it personally. And I tell people, don't take it personally. I always tell people, anyone can file suit against anyone as long as they have the requisite filing fee, which is, you know, different jurisdictions. But here in, in Columbus, it's about $300. And don't take it personally. And, and you just deal with it. And hopefully you have that insurance. So then you can say, it's just you said, here, insurance company, you deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I think, I think Jose, we've answered your question. If you have more questions, please feel free to follow up. I think it's awesome that we have listeners in Spain, by the way. I, and I, it's incredible, and I'm really honored to be here. I think it's pretty cool that now I can tell people I'm global. You're, you are global. And I had I was recently rated the number two criminal defense podcast. How about that? That's I didn't know there was such a category, but I'll take it. Well, in my mind and heart, you're number one. In my uh, Number one in your program. That's right. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up another riveting 25-minute episode of Lawyer Talk Q&A, answering Jose's question all the way over in Spain about swimming pools and maybe a little bit more. So I think uh, the backdrop there and some of the extra uh, will be helpful in understanding how liability works here in Ohio. Anybody's got their own question, again, just look it up, lawyertalkpodcast.com. And I should just mention this, if you go to the website and you really, really like what you're listening to, I do this for free. I don't, I don't, I don't ask for, uh, you know, nobody pays me to do this. This is, I, I like doing this, but if you think it's really awesome and you just want to become a Patreon and give me a buck a month, that'll buy me a cup of coffee as I sit down here. Why not do that? I'll uh, donate a dollar today. Yeah. Donate a dollar, sign up, become a Patreon. Uh, and if you want your own podcast, go to channel 511.com. I'll hook you up with Brett over at circle 270 media. We'll get you squared away and set up. You can sit at the same microphone where Dave Goldstein is sitting right now and educate the world on whatever podcast topic you think is appropriate. The seat is warm, so come on. It is warm. All right. So for now, that is uh, Lawyer Talk Q&A off the record, on the air, at least until now.